So just a little bit of background about me first. So I was born um, with a rare condition known as total amelia, um, meaning I was born without all of my limbs. Um, I'm only one of seven people in the world, I suppose, born with this condition. Um, so I guess it means I'm, I'm sort of unique, I suppose. Um, there's no medical reason as to why I was born this way, but I'm delighted to say I've never allowed my disability to hold me back. And I'm continually striving to create a world that is inclusive, not just for able-bodied people, but for disabled people also. Um, being born with no limbs is often perceived by others to be a severely debilitating condition. Um, and I can safely say that this was certainly the case of some of the doctors who first saw me. But my parents, my family and I, we decided to ignore whatever the doctors had to say, and we decided to take life into our own hands. To be honest, I have a confession to make. Um, I hate the word disability. I hate when people use this word to describe me, and I hate the way people look and think of me as being weak or different. Um, I, just like you and others out there, have the ability to achieve anything I want in my life. I don't look at my life and see the word disability. I only see ability. Um, so with technology, I use it um, in every aspect of my life. Be it my car, you may call it a wheelchair, I call it my car. It has a little horn, it met Prince Charles, it's done the rounds. Um, <laughs> my iPhone, my MacBook, or anything else a 23-year-old needs um, in her life. One day, I suppose, my family sat me down in front of our old computer, and before long, I was banging away on it with my chin, nose, and what I like to call my left hand. So when you go out there, if you want to text someone, either use your upper and bottom lip, your chin, nose, and uh, see how you get on. It's pretty fun. Um, I played games that would help me to learn my ABC, my small words. Um, but curious as any other person, I then began to explore other ways and means of expressing myself. And just after my second birthday, I got my first license and I got my first car. Uh, and it was about four feet high, it was pink, and it was the greatest thing that ever happened. This would, was the key, I suppose, that would unlock my true independence. Because let's face it, life is about living, and we all want a quality of life that is acceptable to all of us. Hi, it's Anna D here. I'm founder and curator of InspireFest. Welcome to Real Humans. This year, we wanted to do something a little unexpected. So we set up a booth backstage at InspireFest. All we had in that booth was a microphone and a series of cards that could be turned over to reveal a question. After they gave their talk and left the main stage, our speakers went into the booth, chose questions at random, and they ended up sharing lots of interesting stories and ideas with us. We wanted to create something that would give you a better idea of the human side of our speakers rather than just the technology, science and innovations that they talk about on stage. So we really hope you enjoy the results. It was something very new for us and a place that is not afraid to try new things is the Digital Hub, our supporters for the podcast series. The Digital Hub is in the Liberties in the heart of Dublin City in Ireland. It's a collaborative space and it's home to lots of technology and digital media companies. But it's more than just an office. You can visit thedigitalhub.com to find out more. Now let's run this experiment. Tell me who you are and what you do. Okay, so my name um, is Joanna Reardon um, and I am a sports columnist with the Irish Times. I'm a podcast host at Red FM. Um, I'm a disability activist and I'm a public speaker. 
that's a lot on my CV. <laughs> so why do you do what you do? Um, I suppose for me it's different reasons as to why I do the things that I do. So the sports side of it, I do it because it literally is my true passion. Um, it's what I grew up always wanting to do, to be on the sideline shoving a microphone into someone's face after a game. That's something I've always been fascinated with. Like I've loved meeting, I love meeting people um, and I love hearing new stories and I'm a firm believer that ordinary people do extraordinary things all the time. Um, and in terms of the activism work and the public speaking, even though it is the same reason that I love meeting different people all the time, um, I think it's important to understand that if you do have a platform that you should use it um, for, 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 for good and that you should make a change. Like we're only, um, I suppose, on this planet for so long, so we may as well leave a mark while we're here. And so uh, yeah, that's why I enjoy doing it and just making sure the world's better for other people. What do you wish you'd known when you were starting out? Um, I think for me, I wish I'd known about public speaking, maybe activism, is that it does take up a lot of your time. So like a lot of stuff that I do, uh, like in my head, I'm like, oh, it's a hobby. I just look at the tech stuff for as a hobby and things like that. And next thing you know, some guy is announcing that you have like loads of money to work with for research. And you're like, it just started out in my study, uh, me on a computer. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting and it's fun. And even though it does take up a lot of your time, I think you do meet a lot of people. And uh, with the sports side, I think I just wish um, that I knew in advance that a lot of the places weren't really accessible for people with disabilities. Um, and that, you know, that I could maybe have started campaigning with that sooner before entering the jobs or whatever. But so far, it's been good. I've worked with everything that I've been given so far. I've been to two World Cups. Um, I've been to a Champions League semi-final. And I've been absolutely everywhere in between. So it's good crack. And I think... I'm very fortunate that I have two companies that believe in me and know that my work um, speaks for me rather than my disability and whatever else is going on. Okay, column one, two, or three? Uh, we'll do three. We'll do... Okay. From the middle? Yeah, we'll do maybe number four. Okay. I'm just counting. I'm hoping there's four there. <laughs> Who is your personal hero and why? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'm a sad loser where I actually have a few. So my first... Like my, my two main heroes are, are my parents, uh, more so than anything else, because um, they've pushed me and you know, made me, I suppose, the person that I am today. They never cared that I was born without limbs um, and everything else going on in my life. They just made sure I was uh, a part of everything going on in the world. If there was a school disco, they were like the opposite of strict parents. Like they were strict in a way, but they would shove me into something and be like, don't make a fool of yourself now, Joanne. Uh, so they'd shove me into all the teen discos, put me on all the tra trains, going to games and things like that. So yeah, I'm fortunate that they were in my life. Um, obviously, I have uh, professional heroes as well. Um, like Carlos Puyol, he's a former Barcelona captain and coming towards the end of his career he was riddled with injuries and I remember they asked him why he keeps going back and he said that power was inside the mind and only the strong can endure. I'm a firm believer in that as well given my lack of physical capabilities as well um, and that I believe that if your mind is right and if everything is good inside of you then I think uh, you're on the right path. And then Rena Buckley I suppose the Cork uh, Camogie and ladies footballer, she's got 18 All-Ireland medals and I'm a huge fan of her because I just love the fact that she never says that she has the All-Ireland medals, it's the team that has the All-Ireland medals and she knows the importance of having a good core group around you and I think that's really important. Uh, one, two or three. We'll do column one, number one. Okay. I feel like I'm on winning streak. <laughs> it's like countdown. Yeah. Or the consonant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is the biggest misconception people have about the work you do? Um, people actually think that both of my jobs are incredibly glamorous and I get to meet cool people all the time. It's true, I do get to meet really cool people. I've met Lionel Messi, I've met um, Jurgen Klopp, I've met 
Pep Guardiola, I've met everyone in between, um, you know, Irish footballers, you know, uh, Gaelic footballers, hurlers, camogie players, etc. But people think that I just show up with a full face on, hair done and ready to go. It's like four or five hours of work beforehand, a lot of standing in cold stadiums and even with public speaking, it's a lot of standing in the wings, waiting around. I remember I was at an event and I met Richard Branson and everyone thought it was like the coolest thing ever. What people didn't see behind the photo was I was up at five o'clock that morning having to do other work and get everything that's prepared in order to meet Richard Branson. So uh, yeah, it was uh, very stressful and by the time it came to him, I was like, I'm so tired, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> I knew who he was. He's a billionaire. It's, not, it's all good. It's all good. I'm not invited to the island, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, we'll do column two, number five. We'll do the bottom one. Oh, yeah, that wasn't counted there. What are you not good at? I'm not good at knowing when to shut up. I just love talking, um, and it's very challenging as a host because you're always trying to be like, uh, 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 and I hate hearing the sound back or my own voice back. Um, because I think I'm really embarrassing. Like I think I'm funny in the moment, and then I hear back, and I'm like, I'm a huge embarrassment to society. I hope my parents lock me away to never be seen again. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that I'm not good at. I'm probably people. I there's a joke at home. A lot of people think I'm very like nice and sympathetic towards people, but my nickname at home is actually Elsa because I don't cry. I don't really have a lot of like you know emotions. Like if something bad is happening for someone, I'm like, okay, like let's book up now. You know, come on, you can get through this. I'm not a person for sympathy or things like that so my nickname is Elsa because I'm very cold inside and very heartless so <laughs> myself and Jim Gavin have the same level of empathy it's quite low it's understandable <laughs> okay. uh, we'll do column we'll do two again number two what do you do when you need to reboot or get inspired and for me I actually like to hang out with my friends uh, whenever I need to reboot or get inspired I I enjoy taking, I suppose, time like for myself. Um, so I'm like, I'm actually a very lazy person as well behind the scenes. Like if I have a day off, I'm watching Netflix. You know, I'm p catching up on whatever I missed out and watching Line of Duty uh, or whatever else is going on. And I think it's important because um, it gives me, you know, a sense of appreciation. But I also go into the new day, I suppose, refreshed and uh, ready to go. So, yeah, I always kind of take time for myself for hanging out with my friends just people who know me I suppose since the start and people who don't actually care for this side of the job that I'm doing they'd ask me like the odd question but they wouldn't really care other than that I think they find the sports side way cooler because again they think it's really glamorous um, but yeah no that's that's kind of what I do I love my dog as well it's this little shih tzu called Sally she's she's six and she's a rescue dog so she's my life I do everything for her keep the, li keep the lights on and the dog fed <laughs> do you have time for one more? yeah yeah uh, we'll do number three, number three. What's the last thing you really geeked out about? Um, I was in Anfield last week for the Liverpool and Barcelona game. And now I'm a Barcelona fan, so I know it didn't go well for me. Uh, but I actually geeked out a lot at being in Anfield and being surrounded uh, by such history um, and different things like that. And I saw Kenny Dalglish, King Sir Kenny. Uh, so I was very excited. As I said, I'm not a huge Liverpool fan, but even I can appreciate the aura surrounding that man. Um, and then seeing Messi walk out, um, it, like that's unforgettable. I've seen him five times now play, but every time it's still wow greatest player to ever exist. I know he wasn't great last week, but <laughs> I'll forgive him. One more? Yeah. Okay, then I'll, I'll stop. Now. I, I know, they're really fun answers. I'll try my best here. Uh, we'll do one, we'll do the bottom one at number one. Tell me about a time you experienced or witnessed an injustice and what influence that uh, that had on you. 
Um, I suppose growing up with no limbs, I've always kind of seen like different things that other people would take for granted. I remember the first bit of activism that I was kind of introduced to was uh, the time they built new footpaths in Mill Street, where I'm from, in Cork, and uh, they're very nice footpaths, don't get me wrong, but people, and particularly delivery vans, were parking on them because it was quick, easy access into the shop to do their deliveries and go out again. And now my brother does work in a delivery service, so I do understand that they're on time as well. And I remember uh, they used to park on a so tight and with a wall that I couldn't get past, so I'd have to wait uh, for the delivery man to come out, and then there's like an awkward encounter where you're like, hi, oh, yeah, this is really awkward for everyone. <laughs> you just had the cop on, you know, we wouldn't have this, you know. Um, but, and then I suppose as a result, that inspired me, I suppose I told my parents, because I was really young at the time, and uh, they went to, as all good parents do, go to the local councillor, and uh, as a result, they put up bollards, and now people don't park there. And as I was trying to explain at the time to everyone, and my parents were trying to explain that it wasn't just for me, it was elderly people, it was people walking in pairs, it was uh, parents with buggies, even the double prams, like different things like that. I remember there was twins living out by us and they couldn't get past either. I remember finding it so funny that it was just me and the twins fighting against delivery vans. Uh, so yeah, that was probably the first time I was introduced to activism more so than anything else. And thankfully it's made a difference now that delivery vans don't park there. But it's like obviously really funny because you walk up the town and you still see the, the, bench, the one that's bent over from the delivery van attempting to park there but uh no it's grand and uh you know what it's raised awareness and people are more aware now of uh the difficulty when they do park on footpaths it's, i think we're all guilty of the five minute thing so you know but yeah as long as people are aware then that's fine tell me something that most people wouldn't know about you oh god uh a lot of people actually don't know that i have a criminology degree a lot of people uh, i've studied four years in criminology and i've studied uh drug use drug policy sex offenders and terrorism a lot of people don't know that uh, my, my, my main background is understanding why society shapes things, obviously from a criminal aspect, the way things are today. And it's something I'm personally interested in. I think it's given me a good background for activism and the world, even the sporting world. Like I enjoy wondering why people do the things they do um, and different things like that. But even though I, I do criminology, a lot of people still message me looking for theories on why certain Netflix shows are like that. So making a murderer... If my theory backed up with a friend's theory, the friend would be like, clearly I'm the genius, you know. Uh, so yeah, that's actually what a lot of people don't know about me. I've had a four-year background in criminology, and if you need to know about a crime show, chances are I'll, I'll have a theory for it. <laughs> Tell me about a time you used data or evidence to make a decision. The last time that I used data or evidence was when I was writing an article on the portrayal of female heroes and uh, I had to use psychology evidence that I would have used in criminology as to why if you see a particular role model then you'd be that role model. And a lot of people think it's actually made up and that I've made it up completely but it's not. The data is there to back it up that if you can't see so like if a little girl can't see a female footballer, then all of a sudden she won't want to be a female footballer. And it's, it was kind of the same in criminology. If a guy, a young kid, sees their dad or their parent involved in crime, then chances are they'll be involved in crime, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so yeah, that was actually probably the last time. And uh, the other, uh, I suppose the other time I used it as well was we developed, well, we, there was a theory called framing and I used it in my media studies as to how we we're kind of swayed by how certain things are framed. Uh, so yeah, that was very, very interesting. So yeah, they were the last time that I kind of used data or evidence really. So it was, it was fun. I love reading journal articles. I'm a bit of a nerd now. I'd love to, I'd, I'd love to read the article about um, female superheroes. Yeah, there's, um, Where was they're all in the Irish Times. On the Irish Times. Yeah, they're... Um, and did you write about framing for the Irish Times? Or was that just... That was my dissertation. Studies? So I did the media portrait of terrorism. So, so interesting. Yeah, I picked three 
I had to pick three very different incidents, so I couldn't pick like three ISIS yeah. related or whatever. So I had to pick the Manchester bombing, the Ariana Grande right. one, yeah. the Las Vegas shooting, you know, where the guy went up at the country festival yeah. and, and the Borussia Dortmund bus bombing. So that was, um, that's actually the most interesting one, not right. a lot of people know it. So basically this guy took out a load of stocks in the Borussia Dortmund club the day before and he planned on blowing up the team to shatter the stocks in order oh to sell God. them at a higher price. So uh, he was actually very, he was a very interesting criminal because what happened was he hadn't really like well planned out and it was on the news say the night before the game, they were playing Monaco in Champions League. It was like, oh, some guy basically took out say 50% of the stocks. And it was only on the news because it was just like, oh, it's a bit weird that this guy randomly took out a lot of stocks on Brucey Dortmund. And then the bus blew up and no one kind of knew it was only then they kind of started piecing together the evidence. But basically they were very lucky because the two bombs he had set up, he had put nails into the bombs so it was going to blow up and then uh, like shatter, I suppose, yeah. uh, shatter the players. But one of the bombs didn't go off properly oh and the God. nails were stuck in the bomb. So thank God. But uh, when the bombs went off, he was staying in the hotel and he asked for the room overlooking that particular street the bus was going on where he planted the bombs. And then when the bombs went off, he went into the restaurant and ordered a steak. Uh, oh, my God. So it was... But that's the interesting thing about what you do. Like, yeah. Because it's you have all of the, the data and the story evidence and yeah. like the documentation but then it's like why you know it's the psychology it's, and it's the psychology and it's like, mad like I mean his, so was, interesting. his was like what they call economic terrorism that was right. what he did basically just in a very extreme way so a lot yeah. of people would take out a lot of stocks and do something dramatic in order to yeah. blow up the stock or whatever but he obviously went a step like too far but the reason why his was so interesting was because they never framed it as terrorism. They just said it was a bomb attack and that was it. Right. Whereas when the Manchester thing was, it yeah. was ISIS bombing, you know, all the different stuff, terrorist. And same with the Las Vegas one, it was mentally ill, unstable and all that kind of thing. Right. I was just interested to see how it like worked. And a lot of the time, what you saw was the press would frame the ISIS attacks in like a military way. So you'd be dehumanized. Right. But then when something happens with like an Irish or American or an English person, we're automatically like going, oh, there must be really something wrong with them. Like why would you yeah. do it? You know, so it was very interesting. It was more interesting than most. It's, yeah. a, it's funny. It makes, it makes so much sense. Do you want to head back to yeah. That was recorded at our fifth birthday of Inspire Fist in Dublin. We'll be back next year with a new and improved event on May 21st and 22nd. Tickets are still available and we wanted to offer a little discount code to our listeners. So simply go to inspirefest.com, click on buy tickets and enter the promo code HUMANS2020. That's a promo code of HUMANS2020. Thanks to all our speakers who took part in Real Humans and to our ACE team of producers at Bureau. For more about Bureau, you can go to akabureau.com. Thanks for listening.